Good evening. Uh, welcome to our Wednesday night study. Thank you so much for taking time out of uh, what is always a busy time of the year. I uh, hope your day has been good and uh, hope you are ready to look at God's Word. Some great things tonight. First of all, let me just say thank you for joining us tonight. Do something for me right now. It's so easy. It takes no time at all. Hit the share button. If you're watching this on Facebook, it's very easy. Uh, just go down to the bottom, hit the share button, and spread this all over your social media page. You don't know who might, uh, who might watch it and then be touched by God. The Word of God might penetrate their hearts. There might be people that don't know Jesus, and this could be the easiest thing you could ever do that might result in somebody coming to know the Lord. So take a moment, hit that share button. I would very much appreciate it, and the Lord can use it. Let me pray for us as we start tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together to um, use this uh, electronic medium and the inability that we have to meet together in person. So, Father, we're thankful. We're thankful, Lord, rather than being those who just complain about something that we perceive that we don't have, Lord, I'm thankful, thankful for this medium, thankful for the, for the opportunity. Thank you for your word, Lord, and the technology that allows us to not only reach each of these, but who knows who might see this, Father, and be touched by your word tonight. I pray that you would use it, Holy Spirit, spread your word all over the world, and I pray that each person that hears it, their heart would be encouraged and strengthened. I pray that each of these that have joined me that are a part of the Abundant Life family and perhaps some of my friends from social media, others that might see some excerpt of this or some little piece of it, I pray that the Word of God would do exactly what it always does, pierce into our hearts and change us, make us more like you. I pray, Father, that we wouldn't just be hearers of the Word, but we would be doers of it. Father, I pray that through the Holy Spirit, you'd let that reality sink into my heart and into the hearts of each of those who hear this. Because, Father, what good is it if we just hear the word and it doesn't uh, transform us? It doesn't alter who we are. Real faith alters our life. It alters our behavior. And so, Holy Spirit, in our attitudes, in our judgments, in the way we think, in what we do, what we say, where we go, how we live, let your word have full effect upon us. I thank you, Lord. Bless each one tonight. Encourage and strengthen any that are feeling down or alone or depressed in any way. Father, let your word lift them and let it encourage them uh, just in their innermost being. We give you praise and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, once again, thank you for being here. We stopped a uh, week, week before last. Uh, last week we took a little break because of Thanksgiving. And uh, we stopped in verse 27. Acts chapter 5 verse 27. Let me do this. We're going to go all the way down through uh, the end of this chapter, but let me read verses 27 through 42. Uh, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Here we go. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thudius rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fall or it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. 
Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is, that the Christ is Jesus. Mm, Good stuff. A couple of things here, right off the bat, as we uh, go back up to verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them. Now let me remind you what has happened. They have already arrested them once in the temple. They had locked them up. We talked about this two weeks ago. They put them uh, sort of in the inner. There were several gates. If you remember, we looked at the scripture where it talked about the angel opening the gates. It was plural. So they were not just behind one, one door. They were behind several. And an angel has supernaturally released them from the jail. The prison guard is instructed by the council uh, to go and find them or go and bring them. He goes to the jail. The door is locked. The soldiers are outside the door. It would seem they go through the doors and they are not there. Every door locked securely, uh, everything just as it should be. And the men who were on guard have no idea what has happened. They come back and they report that to the council. They are, they are perplexed, to say the least. I, I can't imagine what that what that moment would have been like when they begin to realize and the thought begins to dawn on them that, wait a minute, these men have escaped. Now, what we don't know is we don't know if they reached the conclusion that it was a supernatural, you know, God thing or not. What we do know is that they, in the middle of this great confusion, whatever the, whatever the situation is, I tend to believe they did think it to be something supernatural. And I think that may have been what caused Gamaliel to say what he says in our reading today. But that in the midst of that, a messenger comes from the temple and he says, the men that you are looking for are standing in the temple teaching. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we commented on the fact that when you're a fugitive, you don't go back to where everybody thinks you are or certainly not where they found you before. You, 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 you hide out. You get away from public places. But that's not what these men are. They are not, uh, they're not fugitives. These are men of God doing what the Lord has called them to do. And so they go right back to doing it. And when the council sends the soldiers to take them this time, they're very gentle. They ask them. And Peter and the, and the other disciples come with them and they come back to the council. And that's where we begin. Now what I want you to notice, first of all, is what's not asked. Imagine if, with me, if you will, that you are sitting on this council and these events have occurred And you send some men to go get these men, and they do so gently. First of all, the people have have begun to listen to these men. That's why the guards were not violent with them, and they they bring them back. What's the first question you're going to ask? I know what the first question I'm going to ask is. how How did you get out of jail? There's no mention of that. Here's what I think. I think they believed it to be supernatural. They believed that something incredible has happened they just can't bring themselves to admit it they can't bring themselves to a place of submission to this truth that these men are being used of God that God is doing a new thing that there is a new covenant and I think that's a bit of a stretch but they certainly can't bring themselves to face the reality of what's going on so they don't even ask the question they, they completely avoided asking the disciples how they got out of the prison. It, it, we know it to have been something supernatural. Um, it may be that uh, they don't want to hear about angels. They don't want to know. Um, and, and, and one of the things is, is that many of the people on this, on this uh, council didn't believe in the supernatural, didn't believe in angelic things. So well, let's just avoid it. He, however, does instantly remind them in verse 27... Uh, and, and he said to them, listen, in verse 28, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Um, but you have gone and filled all of Jerusalem with your teaching. Now, a couple of things here that I want you to notice. that There is something that happens. Um, there is a synergy brought about solely by the Holy Spirit when God's working behind something. This, this, this teaching that the apostles are doing in the temple area, this is before social media, it's before electricity, it's before sound systems, it's before the printed word, uh, like we would know it. Um, 
it's handwritten, it's reproduced, but it's not printed. Printing press hadn't been created yet. Everything that's going on is word of mouth. It is completely dependent, watch this, the spreading of what's going on in the temple through the apostles' teaching is completely dependent upon something happening in individuals' hearts as they hear the teaching, whether they believe it, submit to it, uh, follow the, 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 the way, the, the, the teaching of Jesus and the things that are being passed on by the disciples, or not, they are telling people about it. There is something that the Holy Spirit does in the hearts of men and women that cause them to favorably talk about the message of the gospel in this day that they're living in. And this teaching, these men, they not only say, hey, you need to go hear these guys, it would seem that they're repeating what they're saying. Word of mouth repetition of the teaching of the apostles from one person to the next, so much so that the council, the Sanhedrin, the ruling Jewish religious men are saying, you're filling all of Jerusalem, not, not that everybody knows who you are. That's not what he said. He said, you're filling Jerusalem with this teaching. I think that's so powerful. This message that they're talking about who Jesus is and that he came to forgive sins and the good news of the gospel, that people, whether they have accepted it or not, whether they've been called to be an evangelist, where they, and we know that there are not any, any uh, uh, occupational ministers here, people are being gripped by the message of the gospel and they're telling other people about it. Oh, that's what, we, that's what we're praying for today. It's good that we have beautiful buildings. It's good that we have technology like this where we can spread the gospel in all the world. But the most powerful, the most powerful tool in the hands of God are people whose lives, whether they've completely submitted to it or not, are enthralled with the gospel message. Why don't you join me in prayer over the, over the course of 2021 that that's what God would do through what we are doing here at Abundant Life. That the message of the gospel and other churches, that his kingdom would spread because people's hearts become infatuated. They become in love. They become zealous. They become passionate once again about the message of Jesus because this message is spreading and they said, look, you're filling all of Jerusalem with this teaching. Lord, let that happen in our generation. That your word would be filling up our cities again. And then he says, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. <laughs> this, is, this is an incredibly telling statement to me. You intend to bring this man's blood upon us. <laughs> the right response to that is, yes, because his blood is on you. But he doesn't get it. The, the, the high priest can't understand that, that the power of God is in this gospel. And the reason that the power of God is in this gospel is because the one whom they are testifying about, Jesus, was the Son of God, was the Messiah. And he didn't die as some heretic in opposition to the words of God. Rather, he was the Son of God, <coughs> and he was sent to the cross, yes, by the divine plan of God, but by the orchestrated effort of this council and this high priest and these individuals. You intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Yes, yes, because it rests upon you. And yet, I want you to notice something, if you will. It's a humbling thing, and I think it's good for us to remember that while there was a high priest and while there was a singular council, while there was a, a literal group of people, Jesus wasn't killed by the murderous or because of the murderous envy of those men. If someone affixes their murderous rage upon you, perhaps against your will they can kill you. But it'll be against your will. That's not how Jesus died. While these men were a part of it, that's not why or how he died. I'm not talking about the means. I'm talking about the fact that Jesus gave his life. Had he not wanted to give it, they couldn't have taken it. I believe that. Had it not been the father's plan, you, you couldn't have touched his son. That while these men are guilty of their sin, it was all of our sin that sent Jesus to the cross, motivated by his love for the Father's creation, you and I, and the desire that we be reconciled to him once again. So before we're too hard on that council, it was your sin and my sin that sent Jesus to the cross, not just their, not just their, their envy and, and anger and, and all of those things. All right? 
um, the I think that the high priests and the council also all of this is rooted in how greatly they have missed God's plan not just in this moment but all of it they have they have incorporated such a legalistic such a dependence upon the law as a source of righteousness and their behavior that they they can't they can't separate or they have separated the the condition of their heart and their action they believe that if they go to the temple and they give alms and they act pious and they do certain things that that's what makes them right with god when they have wicked murderous hearts and they think that their outside part is is justifying them they have completely missed it they they that began not just in this moment it began with the rejection of a messiah who wasn't a warrior king like david rather he was a the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world they could not and this still happens today um people want people want leaders to be type a personalities they want them to be they want them to be uh you know um movers and shakers they want them to be other things men and women of god are are called to be like jesus and that's sometimes out of step with what people want you to be so be it so these men miss it and they say look you, you're trying to put this man's blood on us and yes because it was but not really just them all of us um verse 29 but peter and the apostles answered we must obey god rather than men now this can go both ways. Lots of people have used this verse to say, listen, I'm not accountable to anybody except God. Most of the time when people say it like that, they're not even accountable to God. Um, this is a unique situation. And what Peter is saying is that you've told us not to tell people about Jesus. And the Lord has told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The commission that Jesus gave them was to do just that. He told them to wait in Jerusalem until they were empowered from on high by the Holy Spirit and once that happened, they were to go into all the world. But they're doing exactly what the fathers told them to do. They are telling people about Jesus. They are tarrying. They tarried in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came. Now they're preaching the gospel in, in short order. Now, I do think that there's a delay here. We'll get into that later on, uh, not, not tonight. But I do think they stayed in Jerusalem longer than the Father had intended for them to. And then I think he flushed them out of there by persecution. But the, uh, the, the, the reality is, is that they are commissioned by God to do what they're doing. Now, when can you, let me show you the other side of that. Some people use that for everything. I'm, you know, I'm, I remember a story in, I remember a, a, a really interesting thing that happened one time when I was in basic training. There was a guy that was in our company. We had uh, uh, um, about 100 men in this company and there was one guy and I love the Lord even then, but there was one guy uh, who was, a little, I don't know, he was certainly religiously different. And anytime the drill sergeants, which, come on, basic training is hard, you do a lot, punishment is most often push-ups, drop, you, that's what, drop, get down the front lean rest, just start doing them. And my goodness, I don't know how many push-ups we did a day, but hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. And this guy would constantly, when they would say, drop and give me 50 or whatever, he would say this thing, I will bow before no man except my Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what he would say to the drill sergeants. Well, you can imagine how that how that how that went. Um, my goodness, they it, it, and and that's not what this is talking about. This uh, we must obey God rather than man. Well, the Lord also told us to respect the authorities that are in place over us, even godly or ungodly ones. Now, when they issue an edict, don't tell anybody about Jesus. Well, that's. When they tell us to do something directly in opposition to God's word. But listen, doing push-ups is not forbidden in the word of God. And uh, oh my goodness, it didn't go well for that guy. Uh, it, was a, it was a terrible experience for him. But that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about when someone tells you not to do something that God has expressly told you to do. And they say, look, we, we must obey God rather than men. Now... And then Peter begins to speak about the thing that he's been speaking about. We hear the same sort of message beginning in verse 30 that we've heard. We heard it on the day of Pentecost. The story of who Jesus was. How that he was the son of God. How that he was crucified. Now listen to verse 30. The God of our fathers raised Jesus 
whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Now, let me go back and talk about those. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior. Now, there's a... There's an interesting, I think, a, a very interesting Jewish thing here, and you see it in, even in the gospel. Do you remember when, when uh, um, the mother of James and John came to uh, Jesus, and she says, Lord, when you enter into your kingdom, would you give to my sons one to sit on your right and one to sit on your left? And Jesus said, look, you, you, you don't know what you're asking. Um, there is this thing ingrained in the religion of Judaism in the day that Jesus comes on the scene as the Messiah. And it is incredibly power position oriented. It is sought after. Now, I, I don't, I, I don't want to take issue with, uh, and I don't know enough about what I'm talking about when I when I venture over into the realm of Catholicism in today's world. But this, this feels a little bit, this thing that I'm talking about, I know that there's a college of cardinals, and from the cardinals, whenever, there's a, whenever the pope retires or passes away, the next pope is chosen from the cardinals, and he's chosen by the cardinals. And it is an incredible, I mean, it's, a, it's the position in the Catholic Church, and they believe that he's the, you know, the oracle of God on the earth. This feels a little bit like that in the, in the religion of Judaism of that day. To be the high priest. To be those in authority. To be those upon whom the responsibility and the authority to govern the people of God. Supposedly uh, for God. And that's what these men have envisioned in themselves. And so when... When Peter says, listen, uh, verse 30, the God of our fathers raised Jesus. Okay, first of all, step number one, Jesus being raised from the dead. This is a group, and the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the Pharisees specifically, uh, don't, the Sadducees, excuse me, specifically, don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe that anyone is ever raised from the dead. So strike number one is that Jesus has been raised and it's been done by God. Here's number two. Watch this. Uh, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. All right. Now we're getting right down to where the rubber meets the road. You murdered him by crucifying him. And there was a, there was a thing about crucifixion in the Jewish law that anyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. So Jesus has been crucified by the Romans, but at the bequest of the Jews, he's been killed in a way that Jews thought reprehensible, the worst kind of death. Be hung on a tree. Now you've been, you've been killed as a criminal and you are cursed by God because of that. And that's the category that they have Jesus in. But then Peter says, God exalt, listen, you killed him, God raised him, strike one, strike two, verse 31 is strike three. And it strikes right at that positional thing that I was talking about. God exalted him at his right hand. That's the position of honor. That's the, okay, you, you can't be God, but if you can't be God, you want to be the guy sitting on his right. Remember the mother, let my son sit on your right and on your left, number one and number two. Peter says, listen, you killed him. God raised him. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father as leader. Let me stop right there. As leader. This is, this is piling on in the indignation. And, and, now, and watch this too. These men are not used to be spoken to like this. And they're certainly not used to being spoken to like this by a fisherman. This is a guy that was never even chosen to be in anyone, any of the rabbinical schools. This is, this is lower class talking to Harvard grads. This is, and there is an elitism in their mind. There is a, a religious pride. There is a positional orientation to them. And here comes this guy who is, I mean, listen, he's nobody, but he's preaching in a way 
under an anointing that they don't have and people are listening to him that don't listen to them. I mean, it's just building on them, their frustration, their anger. I mean, these guys, we lock them up and then how? They got out? What are we going to do? And now this same one, this uneducated fisherman, who's not talking at all like an uneducated fisherman now, he is bringing weighty theological matters that are far beyond his training and he's laying them right on them. You killed him by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand. Oh, do you hear the non-fisherman language? God exalted him. Put him at his right hand. Anybody who sits at the right hand of the Father is certainly above the Sanhedrin. As leader. Okay, that's all right. But it's this next word I think that is just the, oh my goodness, it's the knockout blow to their psyche. As leader, and Savior. Watch this. Oh my goodness. If you read through this too quickly, you miss the weight of it. To give repentance to Israel. And this next part. Oh my goodness. It's a, it's a tsunami and forgiveness of sins. That all right, God raised Jesus, who you killed by nailing him on a tree, put him at his right hand, and made him in so doing leader and Savior and the reason that he's Savior and the purpose for him being Savior and the purpose for all that God has done to him is to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. They don't believe in that. You get repentance and forgiveness of sins by sacrificing in the temple. You get, you get, you get your sins forgiven by living a pious life and, and being, watch this, and being like them. And Peter, this uneducated fisherman, is laying waste to that. He's now at the right hand of the Father, leader and Savior, and he is there to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And I, that would have been enough, but man, Peter is not done with these poor guys. I bet at some point in time in this monologue, one of those guys had to be thinking, we should have left these guys alone, left them in the temple. Why'd we bring them in here? There's a powerful truth here in just a moment about human behavior too. Peter says in verse 32, and we are witnesses to these things. Hmm. If that wasn't enough, he says, and so is the Holy Spirit. Listen, church, God's watching. God knows God knows the heart. God knows, God knows what you're going through. God knows your righteousness. God knows your strengths and your weaknesses. He chose you. He chose these uneducated, I mean, rough. I mean, th these aren't, well, these aren't guys that are sitting on the Sanhedrin. And he says to him, We're witnesses to all of the stuff that the Lord has done. And so is the Holy Spirit. Now, before I read this next line, do you remember back when Jesus was teaching one time and the Pharisees came upon him and they were challenging him? And he was talking about the fact that, that if, if need be, the Lord could reject all of them and raise up sons and daughters for himself. It had nothing to do with him. And the scripture says, and they fell on him. They were so angry at Jesus. Now listen to what Peter says. It's very much like that. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit. Listen to the tense of this verb. Whom God has given. Has given. Past tense has given to those who obey him. Maybe you don't hear the maybe you don't hear instantly when you read that the the incredible sword that as that that is into their spirit. It's a little bit like Peter saying and we are witnesses to this and so is the holy spirit but he hasn't been given to you has he that's why you don't know who Jesus is. Because you're not obedient to all those who obey him. 
And listen to verse 33. And when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill him, them. Now let that sink in for a second. You sit as the ruling council over a group of people. And with some frequency, it would seem, because it's not just happened here, it happened several times in the ministry of Jesus, that your heart is filled with murderous rage. All because your position and your opinion and your title is being threatened and you want to kill the one threatening it. I would I would think that at some point, and it doesn't, it's just my own, and this is the benefit of hindsight, looking back on it, that it, and some did, many did. Many of the Jewish, Jewish council, when I say many, I don't know how many, but a notable number, Nicodemus was one of them, he came, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, remember, I mean, he, he was a follower of Jesus. Members of the council began to follow Jesus, all right? But there were many who didn't. And you'd think that at some point in time, after murderous rage has gripped you and you wanted somebody dead, you'd go, maybe I'm not on God's side. But that's one of the things about the deception that the enemy brings. If you get to the place where you're capable of feeling murderous rage, you can't feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit is drawing you away from it anymore. So be careful. Be careful. I watched a lot of people in this election cycle. Let their, let their feelings about other people completely overwhelm their Christianity. The way they felt about a politician or the way they felt about people who supported one side or the other. And yes, there were powerful issues that were powerfully important. But, but it was almost like they, they wanted the people dead. And, and, and I don't get that. I really don't. Uh, it's not in the heart of God. You, you've... You've, you've worshipped at some other altar. You've let something else become your priority. It's certainly not Jesus. It's something else. Powerful issues that we have to be passionate about. But none of that supersedes God's love for people, even those who oppose us. You've got to love them. And there's a murderous rage. They want to kill them. Here's one of the things that I said about human behavior. Wanting somebody dead is the last resort. What do I mean by that? Use it as a, all right, here's the, the way I think about it. Um, and I've never been on an aircraft carrier. I was in the Army, but uh, I was, I'm a, I'm, I loved airplanes forever. And when I was a kid, I used to read everything about airplanes. Eventually became a private pilot just because I wanted to be around airplanes. And, but on an aircraft carrier, from what I understand, if I remember it right, when they land, there's a tail hook that comes out, and there are three wires, big big cables, on on cylinders that re, you know that slow the plane very quickly. And the the best pilots, they catch the number one wire. The tail hook comes down, they land at the right spot, and it catches that first wire. If it misses the first wire, it catches the second wire. And if it misses the second wire, it has to catch the third wire. And if it misses it, that's why the minute the wheels touch down on a fighter jet, on, a, on, a, on an aircraft carrier, he goes to full throttle. So that if he misses the wires, he's got enough acceleration to be able to take off again. This ought to be the third wire. This ought to be the, this ought to be the thing that causes you to go, okay, stop. I am progressing beyond a place of just danger. I'm in peril here. When... Anytime something comes upon you and the thought is, I just wish that person wasn't here anymore. I wish that person was dead or I wish they were gone or I wish they weren't a part of my life. That, that needs to be the third wire. That sense of that where something's been threatened in you, something's been challenged in you and you now think that the world would be better without someone. That's not, that's not our right. That's God alone. So let that be the third wire. These men missed that. They wanted to kill them, verse 33 says. Listen to what verse 34 says. A figure comes on, and we have an interesting perspective about him. Verse 34, but a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. Now, 
A couple of things here. We, we, we always attribute to Gamaliel an almost Christian-like allegiance. Like he's secretly a, you know, listening to Jesus. But there's no indication of that. He, he does speak some wisdom and he certainly was used of the Lord. But there's no indication that Gamaliel was a follower of Jesus or ever became one. He is respected and he does speak with wisdom here. But this may be more, uh, this may be more practical than it is theological. This may just be him saying, look, this, this, is, this is how these things go. Let's, let's calm down a little bit. But I think sometimes I have certainly thought of him like, oh, there's a, there's a guy here that's got a good heart. And a, well, he was a Pharisee. He doesn't, uh, he, I mean, he is on this council. Not all of them are evil, but I think sometimes I, I push him a little far into the noble category and maybe even the godly category. And he may have been, but I don't know that for sure. He stands up and says, look, let's, let's put them outside. We need to talk without them in the room. And I think that's wisdom. Sometimes it's it's good to sort of calm things down, to separate the people in the, in the situation. And then he gives a historical narrative about some of the ones that have come before, and they've come to this council, and they have, uh, and they have uh, you know, come to nothing. As they put them outside, um, they begin to talk about the, the, the different ones have come. And he says, he says this, he says, uh, verse 35, all right, And he said to them, men of Israel, take care. There's an interesting verb there. Take care what you are about to do with these men. Um, it, it, it could be a little bit like um, 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 one translation. Consider carefully. Be careful here what you're about to do. There is a, a thing I think that we, we misjudge sometimes. Um, and the, the Sanhedrin certainly did. It's good, it's good advice for us. I'm amazed at how often that I think that whatever God's doing is probably something that I agree with. <laughs> how about you? Yeah, that God and I are in, in sync. And something that, you know, well, I don't really like how that's going. That must not be God. I'm, I am very prone, and I think all of us are, to place my values and my thought process. Now, when I really think about it, I, I quickly retract that. But in a moment, when I respond... I sort of respond with righteous indignation when something's not going the way that I think it should. And in, I think Gamaliel's advice is good. Think carefully. Be careful. Take care what you're about to do to these men, with these men. Now remember, they wanted to kill them. I don't know if they had, would have been able to just without the Romans. And in fact, they couldn't without the Romans. In, the, in that day, only the Romans could put someone to death. They could have them beaten, and you're going to see that happen. But only the Romans had the, had the power of capital punishment. So the reality is they probably couldn't have killed them, but they wanted them dead. He says, be careful. And then he begins to remind them of some others that have risen up. And I think in this regard, it gives me an idea of who Gamaliel is. He's putting these men into these categories and he does leave the door open that maybe they're not, but he compares them to some of these others. He's a pragmatic kind of a guy. Hey, listen, listen, guys, calm down a little bit. We've seen this sort of stuff before. Um, I think that had he believed that they were apostolic, that they were God's men, he would have had different words. But it's, it's, he certainly is used of the Lord here to, to bring, uh, bring deliverance to the apostles, to the disciples with Peter. He says... Um, before these days, Thudius, verse 36, for before these days, Thudius rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. Um, false teachers rise up. People, people can do things and cause people to follow them. People, people appreciate what they're saying, how they're saying it. A group of people follow, followed them. And then he said, and he was killed. Now, what we don't know is how, why, who killed him? Um, the, uh, you know, the, the, it is perhaps uh, one theologian writes that Thudius, which was a common name, um, was perhaps one of the rebels who arose after Herod the Great died. That was in 4 BC. Uh, Josephus writes about, about a Thudius later in that. Um, we don't know, but about 400 men have attached themselves to him. 
And the word killed there is, is murdered. He was murdered. Um, we don't know by whom uh, or why, but the man dies. And when he does, everything about the movement stopped. Everything about what he was trying to do ended with that single individual. There is a, a bigger message here. Then he goes to another one. Um, the, uh, um, and, and he talks about these, in verse 37, After him Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished and all who followed him were scattered. We don't know if he was murdered or he died by natural causes. Here's the point. These two guys come on the scene. They are doing some teaching. People rallied to them. Thudius had about 400 uh, Justice or Judas came in the time of the census. We don't know how many followed him. One was murdered. The other one perished. I tend to believe that he died by natural causes just because of the different words that are used. And instantly the teaching and the movement and the momentum and the crowd went away. And it was gone. Now, here's what's interesting about this. And here's why I believe that perhaps Gamaliel is more pragmatic than he is... Um, pure all right he's been on the council for a while remember who this council is and remember what came before that is really the source of what the what the disciples and the apostles are teaching they're talking about jesus jesus whom this council delivered to the romans jesus died and yet what and yet it didn't go away. It didn't disappear. In fact, it's growing. All of Jerusalem is filled with his teaching now. People are putting the blood on the council, and it's not diminishing. And perhaps the pragmatism of Gamaliel says, wait a minute, I don't know this. This is just, my, this is just a theological opinion. Perhaps he's sitting there going, hey, wait a minute. We, we tried this before with this teaching, and it went the other way for us. Maybe, and I think that is perhaps what brings him to the place where he says, this might be God. This, this didn't follow the pattern that we've seen before. The leader dies, or the leader is killed, and the whole thing falls apart, and it's gone, and it fades into history. This same thing happened to Jesus, and there are more of his followers now, and this thing is growing, and all of Jerusalem is filled with this teaching. Maybe we need to back up and take stock for a second. Now, I don't know that that's what led him to the decision, but as I studied through this, I thought, that, that makes sense to me. He says, verse 39, verse 38, So in the present case, I tell you, Keep away from these men and leave them and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, just like the others, it will fail. It's going to go away. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. It, it almost feels like we weren't able to throw, overthrow Jesus. Let's leave this alone. You won't be able to overthrow them. Remember, they wanted to kill them. They wanted to follow this same course of action. Maybe there's a plan book. Hey, we get the Romans engaged. We tell them that they're stirring up the people. I mean, that's what they did with Jesus. They take them out. They crucify them. This goes away. And Gamaliel says, look, before we start enacting that plan, we need to leave this alone. And Gamaliel in verse 39, he has enough authority, he has enough respect among the people. It says, so they took his advice. But they're not completely done with him. There's a really interesting thing here that begins in verse 40. And when they had called in the apostles, they bring them back in. They beat them. That's interesting. You, you, you've, got a pretty, you've got a pretty heavy dose of your own importance when you start beating people because of what you think. We bring them in, and right here it would seem, right, right in front of everybody, we have some guys beat them. I don't know if it's closed fist. I don't know if it's rods. We don't know, but they beat them. They don't kill them, and it doesn't seem that they, that they maim them or they, they don't have broken. Uh, we don't know, but, but they are able to walk and leave. 
but they beat them perhaps with, with rods and once again charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. You've heard this before, um, that these men are beaten for the cause of Christ. It's this next, it's this next verse that lots of good stuff in here. I, I, I've, I've, I've enjoyed getting this ready and, and sharing it with you. But in verse 41, there is a thing here that is just so rich. And it so convicts my heart. And I want the Lord to remind me of it. It says that after they had beaten them and they commanded them not to speak in the name of Jesus, they let them go. Verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council. Rejoicing. And watch this. Not rejoicing that they had been set free. Not rejoicing that they hadn't been killed. Not rejoicing that they're returning back to their families. I mean, they may have felt all of that. But what the word says, rejoicing, watch this, that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Hmm. It kind of, boy, it kind of, kind of, kind of messes up my poor old pitiful me moments, doesn't it? Let me let me be honest with you. I don't have a lot of. I don't I don't have a lot of business dealings outside the church world. I don't have a lot of recreational things that I do that are outside the church world. I don't have a lot of. I mean, I have interaction with people, but most of them are of a, of a light enough relationship. I mean, that, that they really don't have the ability to, I don't know, to, to get too, I mean, they, they don't cause a lot of stress or problems just because most of my world is in the church world. This would be a great word for pastors. If you're doing the right thing, or even believers, come on. I started with if. If you are doing the right thing. If you are living a godly life. If you're living a righteous life. And that life puts you in a position to suffer. What do you do? I know what I do. <laughs> I whine about it. How about you? Lord, please take this. I don't. I want to talk to somebody. I want somebody. I, I kind of want to put my thumb in my mouth and I want to curl up with my blanket and, and, and just be there. But these men have suffered particularly because of their testimony of who Jesus is. They've been beaten and they rejoice because they feel like that is an indication of their worthiness. And it is. Your testimony is strong enough that a great enough opposition arises to you that people, people want to kill you. Hey, when you, when you crank up people telling them the gospel to a degree that they want to kill you, you are preaching it, brother, let me tell you. All right? And it, they didn't want to kill them because they were arrogant or because they were unkind or because they were deceptive or because, no, they wanted to kill them because they were telling them the truth. And that truth was just too much for them. I also don't hear any language here where they were personally assaulting people with their words. They were just telling the truth. And they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Now, I don't know if I'm ever going to be there, and I don't even know if the Lord expects us to. And I don't think you need to feel condemned sometimes when you suffer and it makes you feel bad. I think that's life. But I think it's a great standard to ascribe to. Lord, let me love your kingdom and let me be so straight with the presentation of your gospel, that when I suffer, I'm not down by it. I rejoice. It makes me happy to know that my life is such that the testimony of Christ in me is causing people to put persecution upon me. I don't know that I ever want to be there, but um, that's a great thing to ascribe to. Last verse, verse 42. And they went home and they didn't preach anymore about Jesus. <laughs> no, that's not what it says. It says, and every day. Now watch this. You just got beaten and the reason you got beaten is because what you have done, and you were told not to do it anymore, knowing that you could get beat again, you go right back, and every day, and every 
day in the temple, out in the open and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. They won't stop. They are so touched by who Jesus is and what he's done for them that even with persecution that results in them being physically beaten and being told not to do it by the people that put the beating on them, they go right back to telling people about Jesus in the temple publicly. They're not hiding. They don't go underground. They didn't start whispering. They put it out in the open and they told people about Jesus in the temple and from house to house. Oh, that's good stuff. Mm, Lord, help me to be all that you've called me to be. Help us to be all that you've called us to be. Good stuff from his word. Great, challenging pieces there. And um, I never get in it that it doesn't touch me. Well, thank you so much for being here with us tonight. I hope you've enjoyed this time in Acts chapter 5. Next week, we'll pick up with Acts chapter 6. Now, it's Wednesday night. We'll be back here Sunday morning, 1030 for a stream. Uh, don't forget to uh, go online or drive by the church where we have our angel tree out. You can pick a tag up. I think we've got, uh, well, that's probably, this is, uh, uh, this, uh, I think the registration is probably already closed today for that. Uh, as far as the number of kids, we've limited it to 200 children. I think we've already got that, and they're probably still children, but we still need some folks that will uh, take a tag and buy a present or donate money, and we'll send some ladies shopping. We've already had some of you donate money. So I know we've asked a lot over the last few weeks with all the different needs that are going on around the world. You give to whatever the Lord uh, blesses you to be able to give to. No no condemnation whatsoever. Uh, I know you're generous people, and you do whatever the Lord has called you to do. So thank you for that. But come by and pick up a tag if you can. And uh, we'll be back here 1030 Sunday morning to share a great time in the Word. We're beginning our new sermon series called Vintage, Cool People Living Out Old Truths. I think that's where we need to be. We need to be relevant in the world we live in, but we need to live our lives based on old biblical truths that were put in place by the Lord and not not fall prey to the whims of the societal changes in our world, uh, living our lives according to God's word. So we'll start that Sunday. I'm looking very much forward to it. And then we're leading towards Christmas. It's going to be a wonderful, beautiful season. Thank you so much for being with us. God bless you. Have a great rest of your evening. We'll see you back here soon. Bye-bye.